Today's guest is Liam McCullum, Chief Product Officer of Loop Media. This is a behind-the-scenes look at a tech company that you may have already interacted with without even knowing. This is slightly different from a sports bar, which usually just throws on whatever game is on. But if you've ever been at a venue and you saw music videos playing in the background or something like that in terms of short-form content, you probably were at a venue that Loop Media is providing services to by allowing them to have a tech stack that can play these short-form pieces of content that keep the ball rolling at night without taking too much away from the rest of your experience and not making you feel like you missed out by not looking at the monitors, right? This is, now just think of how many venues you may have seen that at, and that's the kind of access and work that they've been doing, right? So it only enhances the deal and the importance of this conversation when I tell you that they also rolled out a self-service advertising platform as you'll learn about in this conversation. Without further ado, Liam McCullum of Loop Media. Okay, Liam, thank you for stopping by, man. I think one of the places that makes the most sense to start off is if you could just share an overview of what you're doing at Loop Media as CPO, a little bit about how you got here today as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. I think before we get into my role, though, just a quick overview of what uh, Loop TV is. Uh, imagine Netflix, but for your favorite bar or restaurant, you know, that's Loop TV in a nutshell. Um, it's a streaming TV service crafted especially for businesses. However, instead of long movies or boring daytime TV, you know, uh, we show fast paced TV channels like music videos, um, the TikTok channel or World Surf League. So uh, that's that's what Loop TV does. And as the, the chief product officer at Loop TV, I obviously lead the product roadmap, um, the features, the design, the usability, but it's also a high-tech uh, streaming service. So a lot of my time uh, is spent working on the tech stack that supports those products. I see. And so this is the, I, I think I know exactly what the differentiation is or the delineation is. Sometimes I go to like, let's say, uh, to go eat some Korean barbecue or something. And there's just like music videos, like just flowing. And you're just like, oh, that's so cool. And it just keeps, I never see someone changing the channel for something or what. Is yeah. this sort of the technology and the tech stack? Absolutely. That you're using? It runs 24 seven most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. What we try to do, if, if, if there's a TV in a restaurant or a bar and it's showing, um, short form content or uh, digital signage up on the screen, the menus, uh, that's, that's typically us. And that's, uh, that's how we got there. And this is, this is not consumer, uh, consumer available, right? This is more for business to business. Correct. Correct. I know a few consumers who would probably really love that. We're talking uh, MTV, uh, BET days before right. where people just used to leave the music videos on repeat. There's memes about it. Just, you know, just in passing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, music videos are back. Yeah, man. Now, okay, so audience uh, of, of, of technologists will appreciate what you've done with uh, with, uh, with leading the way on Loop's recent back-end uh, migration over to the uh, AWS platform. Can, can you sort of talk about that? Because this is what my notes say. And, and, and from what I hear, it took six months. So you used to run on a different back-end uh, to host everything, or what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, guess take a step back. We, um, you know, we started Loop when I was actually in Hong Kong. So... Yeah, we, we, I came from uh, Electronic Arts. We met our uh, current CEO of Loop. He was running the show over at Electronic Arts uh, Asia. I was running all the, the online platforms for those uh, new free-to-play games that uh, 
that we were launching back then. And so, you know, about 10 years ago, I was spending about a decade in Asia. We wanted to come to the US and and bring our, you know, gaming skills from the gaming world to this new world of streaming TV. And um, at the same time, our co-founders uh, were working in the music industry and you know, talking about, you know, music videos before. They were seeing them just explode, right? They were the next big thing. So, I mean, even even right now in 2023, music videos are the most, most watched videos of all time on YouTube, right? So, you know, we experimented bringing... Uh, those channels to to consumer, like like you mentioned before, but quickly realized you get a lot more engagement um, in social settings, right? Like bars and restaurants. Um, so, I think a lot of our tech stack came from our experience in in Hong Kong, uh, and I guess outside of the US in general. And at the time, Amazon and AWS, uh, this is about a decade ago, just wasn't as strong outside of the US. And so we were running, uh, when we first launched Loop, we were running all of our core APIs on, on the Google Cloud. Uh, we spun up our own Pocona, uh, MySQL servers, MongoDB. We use Akamai for our CDN. Um, we use Cloudflare for our edge computing. And all of our media encoding was actually still done in-house on our own Mac mini farm. Uh, so I think, you know, all of those solutions on their own are not bad and they're perfectly fine. But today we serve over 2 billion video views a month, right? Yeah. So when you look <laughs> at all that as a single tech stack, um, it's just too fragmented, too complicated to maintain and uh, and just too expensive, right? So what we did, and, and if I can give some advice to any other startups, uh, bundling all the tech services you use under a, a single provider can give you some massive uh, cost savings, right? And uh, that's what the the folks at Amazon did for us. So all of those previously mentioned services uh, are now running on the AWS equivalents. So, yeah, um, no, I mean, moving anything over to the Amazon Web Services is like definitely it, a sign of good progress. <laughs> right, right, it's a big project. Though. I think the whole the whole time it took us about six months, and uh, but every single week. The AWS team, about three or four engineers, sat down with us. Uh, they offered, you know, support and advice along the way, right? And we're we're big, but we're not Disney big, and so we weren't expecting that as a startup just to have that uh, that complete support. And so we were we're extremely impressed, and and I can't recommend them highly enough. That's definitely something good to hear. Looking back on it, uh, having made that change and, you know, knowing it took six months and you had great service and a great experience doing that. Was there any point in time you maybe could have transferred earlier or even started on there? Is this something that crossed your mind? Because obviously, you know, when you're building something, you got to be scrapping. You do it how you need to do as, yeah. as a startup. Uh, but have you learned anything from that, that transition in terms of what, what was possible, maybe even from the jump? Yeah, as I think as a startup, like you mentioned, you do what you need to do, but you also do what you uh, what you feel comfortable with, and yeah. we're comfortable on all of those previous services. So, uh, obviously, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and we should have jumped across earlier. But yeah, it's, any startup hits that complexity curve, right? Where you're uh, the faster you grow, the more people you hire, uh, the more complex everything becomes. Uh, and we're at a point, I think we, we definitely could have moved earlier, but we just had a point where we needed to draw a line in the sand and, and, uh, essentially stop feature development for a few months and, uh, and just work on the transition because if we didn't do that, then we'd be in a, a bad place right now. Yeah. 
I'm, one thing I'm truly curious about, uh, and this is uh, personal curiosity, is how difficult was it to secure the partnerships for getting the content onto your platform and things of that nature? That had to be a, a key challenge because that's part of the the core service that that you, core offering, right? So that that must was it because of your relationship and your experiences with electronic arts that you learned a lot there that you were able to carry over when, when you uh, went and launched loop or what did that look like that process? Uh, it helped coming from the media industry. Again, right. Joe was uh, running electronic arts, Asia before that he was running the Walt Disney company in Asia. So a lot of, a uh, lot of contacts in the industry, our co-founders were in the industry there. So having the music video uh, rights, is fantastic. It was a it was a long process to acquire them. Uh, yeah. We actually purchased a, a company out of uh, Seattle that's been running uh, music videos in a small amount of venues for 20, 30 years. Wow. It's the largest music video library in the world uh, from all three major music uh, labels. And so well, it was time to come and and uh, do those label deals. It, it, it helped that we were, you know, that we'd acquired a company that that had those previous relationships as well. Now, once we 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 started, that was a hundred percent music videos. We didn't have any other content, and it's those are arguably one of the most premium short form uh, content pieces you can get. I think right. once you start there, once once you start at the top of of the quality of content, uh, acquiring other content uh, isn't as isn't as difficult. So. Uh, but now, now we're about 50-50, right? So half of our venues are running music videos. The other half are running, you know, TikTok and, and viral content and extreme sports and really any anything that's, that suits the mood. You bring up a valid point. I, I would have never have thought of that. But when you think of the way TikTok itself manages the kind of content it promotes and then the kinds of trends it promotes for content creation, it mm -hmm. perfectly captures the energy that's needed for sort of background, really live, really, yep. uh, really fast, really loud, really punchy, very fascinating. That that research must have been really interesting to watch. I mean, maybe it's just lost on me. I don't spend enough time on TikTok, but I have done enough of it to see the way that works. And when I see it in contrast uh, with your overall value proposition and the way the product is designed to keep yeah. entertainment live and social. It's definitely something to point at, something to look at and passing, toss a drink back to. Really interesting stuff. The the marketing team and and overall how that strategy room looks when you're focused on those things must be some fascinating conversations in terms sure. of like watching trends and things of that nature. Absolutely. Uh, short form is key for us, right? Obviously, we started music videos, which are, I guess, the original short form content, but People don't want to go to a a bar or restaurant and watch, <laughs> watch, a, watch Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So it's, it, it's got to be engaging enough that people enjoy the content, but not take over their their social situations. They have to be able to glance up and enjoy it, and and look back down, but not feel like they're missing anything. No, that's that's perfect. So I have here on my notes, uh, Assembly AI. There's yep. a partnership that took place. And I understand this is sort of an enhanced capability for Loop Media that gives you a certain sort of safety assurance to brands uh, for mm -hmm. advertising, which right now there's a lot of other platforms that are having issues with their advertisers and they're losing them and what have you. So yeah. why don't you talk to me about what's going on with Assembly AI? Well, that's our business model, right? So we we either offer a subscription or majority of the the our venues take our ad-supported model. 
And so it's a game changer because right now businesses don't have the choice what ads show on the TVs, even if they're paying a fortune for cable, right? Even if they're subscribing to cable, they still get to see ads and it's not always the ads that they want, right? So like a, a Kia dealership doesn't want to see a Toyota ad running on their screen. <laughs> a chicken joint doesn't want to see KFC ads. And so what Assembly AI, uh, AI does for us is they're able to detect the category of the ad through the audio transcription uh, using their large language models. And um, we can then take those categories and if the venue partner wants to block a certain category, we can uh, work with them to, to make sure that everything is not only brand safe, there's nothing you know not safe for work or... Uh, um, you know, politically incompatible, yeah. uh, but also for their you know, competitive reasons, we can we can block other competitors in their venue. So it's it's been it's been wonderful to to be able to offer that to our, our venue partners. No, I think that's so key. And I don't really know any other places where someone can do that. Like, like you're saying uh, that, that that's relatively new. Have you looked into sort of how many other tools that are running those sorts of technologies under it all uh, that you may be integrating into. Can you talk about that? Some, some roadmaps for how, how you plan to develop things. I don't want to put you on the spot there. I know some of that sauce you got to keep, you know, at home. So uh, just curious, is there any roadmap maybe you can share with us as we, as things continue to, to pan out for you? We can share something that we've already announced and that's our own um, self-service platform. Uh, for for users, uh, people in the businesses that want to advertise uh, across our network, so it's it's bringing a bit of democracy back to the world of TV advertising, right? So yeah. this, this allows businesses with maybe just a local footprint to upload and showcase their own ads uh, across our network. We have seventy thousand screens all over the US, and so we're excited to see how businesses use this tool. That is a huge value prop for businesses, especially knowing that we could probably, the way someone would get up and set up a Facebook ad for their mobile app or what have you, it just has to be relevant to what you're serving, of course, right? And yeah, I imagine that that uh, discriminatory process or uh, process to categorize how that's going to land and, and be determined to be approved or not was also its own science to come up with, Right. For your absolutely. team, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's taking all of that, uh, you know, our expertise. We we show ads across seventy thousand screens. We we we've done this before. We know how to do it, uh, and we know how to make sure that those ads are approved by somebody here at Loop, um, and they don't show up on competitor screens uh, around our network. So, it's it, it should be a great tool to roll out. No man, that's awesome. Now. I have here another note. Okay. Uh, moving towards just generally the world of startups. What are some maxims for you, you know, or truths you've unearthed in your career across the board? Uh, now that we know where Loop is at, you know, where you came from with that, the kinds of tech you're working with, some of the rollouts you've had, like this self-service platform, uh, when it comes to like basic culture philosophy at Loop, what does that look like as a, as an organization? Oh, that's a good question. Um, listen, I think maybe some career advice is maybe one career advice that's always helped me is is you know, maybe working in larger organizations like I did electronic arts is is definitely always surround yourself by smart people. And 
and hire people that can teach you something. And even if they rise above you or they get promoted above you, everyone know that, that you played a part in their success. So it, it's a win-win. Um, and I guess from the startup world, one thing we've learned as we've grown, but we've always kept headcount very small compared to, I guess, the what we've achieved is if, yeah, if mentoring um, seems a luxury that you can't afford or, or you don't have time for, then then shift tactics instead of spreading uh, resources on multiple hires and invest in one top tier talent, you know, because I think a lean, stellar team trumps a larger average one every single day. I love that specifically because I recently, I want to say maybe in the past year and a half or so, had a chance to be a part of a startup that was international, right? But they all came from major corporate and they wanted me to sort of help set the foundation for what they were doing with marketing. And I remember as I was involved, uh, the, the, it was, it was lean enough that the CEO was still involved in a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. And, he mentioned how he wanted to to mentor more of the people because he knew people development was important, especially coming from like major corporate. He's like, that's probably one of the key things, which isn't a conversation that happens a lot in small startups, even in the past that I've been a part of development. If you're a generalist, come on board, we'll figure things out. And maybe <laughs> as things scale, we might need you to specialize or we'll figure out where else you can go. Right. And yeah. I, I am so clear on what you mean by like, try not to spread your resources too thin, trying to develop this person and that person when it might just make more sense to make sure to develop one full talent who can then take on that role moving forward. Is that sort of what you were alluding to? Yeah. And we, and you can get there uh, as, as you grow, but as you start, as you start up, I mean, everyone needs to be a doer. Um, and <laughs> if uh... <laughs> that's not my job, well, I don't know what to tell you. percent. <laughs> Yeah, man. And, and to think that you've been able to build all of this uh, with as lean a team as possible and having that as like a core fo- philosophy is so important because I've been in part of enough conversations where the first thing they do when someone secures funding or or has en- uh, enough capital, they decide they want to start something is they just hire as many people as possible because they think that's what they're going to need. And yeah. to know that you went against the grain already showed how how much you were willing to protect the working capital you had, the runway that you had to then place the emphasis on the development of the product. Now, was that, was that an intention, an intentional decision you made off the jump was we've got to be as lean as possible. We've always said we'd never want to get, you know, we never want to brag about how many people we have as a benchmark of our success. We never want to say we've got two, 300 people. Look how big we are when, yeah. when it really matter. Um, we want to do the opposite. We want to brag about how few people we have versus what we've achieved. Um, and it, it was it intentional. I, I think it was. Um, we've also never had PE funding. It's always been private, privately funded. Wow. Even to the point where we we uplisted to the New York Stock Exchange um, earlier this year. And so funding is as you know, just vast amounts of money was a was a very pre twenty twenty thing. I think coming from the the, the uh, private equity world. Yeah. And that, that wasn't us. So um, we've we've I think been forced to be be smart about how we do things. I, no, I think that's great. In fact, my next my next uh, question as we begin to close things out, which I think always does a lot for really understanding companies, like what is your metric of success for as a, as a company or as a leader when when you look at like this is 
for example, if someone were to run a, let's say, uh, some kind of university online, right? They could either measure the newest signups and then they're like, great, we've had 20,000 more people sign up or they can measure the amount of people they actually got a job for, right? So what's the metric that uh, Loop likes to look at in terms of their success? Obviously the same ones that that are that are out there, you know, customer acquisition, customer retention. Retention for us is is key. And that's just the um a measure of how happy the venues are with a product. Yeah. And it's it, you know, we get fantastic notes day in, day out. It's and our support team always like to say that that nobody ever uh calls in and just saying you've done a great job, right? They, they're always calling in if they have, a, have an issue. But typically people do. They they call in, they love the product, um, they love the features there because it's not just a streaming service. It's really, it's built for businesses. It's built to brand those channels with their own logos and their own signage and their own messaging to their own customers. So I think what we've done there. Um, provides a lot of value to the businesses and we see that feedback and, and we love that. That's that's what gets us out of bed every day. I love that. It sounds like you have a great relationship with your customers and uh, you keep your ear close to the streets, as they say, to yeah. see what's going down. Uh, Liam, I really only have one last question. You know, I want to roll out the red carpet and have you tell people, like, where do you want them to go? What do you want them to know about what you're currently doing and how they can support that? If you have a business or if you uh you know anyone that does it's you know putting great content on the on the TV screens now is free so uh go over to loop.tv and and sign up and and we'll uh we'll send you a free player if you want to become an affiliate as well if you uh if you want to build a business putting loop TV in in uh in venues around your hometown we offer that as well so uh it's it's a great opportunity to get involved with loop um so we hope you do I like that. That's probably the first time I ever had somebody say something like that. And it makes so much sense. Actually, it's an amazing strategy. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> hey, and no one's going to be mad at that. Liam, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for stopping by, breaking it down, letting us know the magic that happens at these venues that we go to that we're not even aware of takes a full on tech stack. So we thought somebody just turned the TV on. Some places <laughs> might do that, but I guarantee you it's not the most stellar place. <laughs> what absolutely. you're doing is is absolutely necessary, especially to enhance the nightlife, the entertainment life, the outdooring, going with family, friends. I mean, you have platforms that can delineate you know, is this a family-friendly place? And the advertisers want to be aware of those things. There's so many implications to the tech that you've been developing and how you've been considering things. I can already see it, that I'm very grateful something like that exists. So thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a pleasure. I had a great time. Thank you.